Uh, guys, I want to uh, invite my friend uh, Nick Bank up to the stage. Um, Nick and I, um, we, have, uh, we went to college at Grace University, uh, spent some time there at the same place. Uh, we both went to seminary at uh, Dallas Seminary, and I've gotten to know this brother over the years. Uh, he is uh, just a part of my inner circle uh, of friends and guys that I just kind of bounce things off and say, hey, um, when ministry is hard, like, dude, what are you doing over at your place? Um, what's, what's happening there? Um, he's pastoring over Passageway in Blair, uh, and he's jumping in. He's got uh, just a, a talk for us this morning that I've asked him to share. Uh, his family's sitting up uh, here in the front. So as you see them, please make them feel welcome and uh, dude, I'm just excited for you to share with us. Hey, pray for thanks for having me. Jesus, thank you so much for, for my brother. Thank you for the message that you've already given him. I pray that he would just feel comfortable in delivering what you have for us and that your spirit would use his mouth in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, good morning. It is very good to be here with you. Uh, Anthony uh, and I have known each other a little over 10 years. Uh, we we uh, enjoyed, I mean, suffered through seminary together and encourage one another in ministry various uh, times in our lives. And he, he asked, hey, would you, would you be willing to fill in? And so I was delighted to say yes. He said, yeah, we want someone to come in who's energetic and dynamic and insightful, can really inspire people to live biblically. But that guy was busy. Would you be free? <laughs> so I'm not the best fill-in Anthony could have gotten today, but he, uh, he was in a pinch. No, I'm kidding. He's, he's very gracious to, to invite me, and I don't take it lightly, so... A great joy to be here with you today, and uh, I, I'm just really encouraged that, that this very obscure passage from Genesis chapter 26, verses 12 through 23, uh, are just kind of a surprising little reminder of God's faithfulness in the midst of difficulty, and that's what we're going to kind of see today. We're going to see what does it mean for us to be in the midst of a situation which logically, if every human perspective applied to it seems impossible, but where when we respond in obedience to what God has said, we see him show up in ways we can't explain, no one else can explain, it brings him glory and it causes us to recognize that he is faithful. Uh, all of us have been in a situation or continue to be in situations where our faith is challenged and where the circumstances seem impossible. What we're going to see today is that's never the case when God's involved. So, how many of you are familiar with a man named Branch Rickey? Not a lot of baseball fans in here. Okay. <laughs> Branch Rickey kind of changed baseball because he invited a man named Jackie Robinson to play baseball uh, and to break the color barrier. In fact, we have some stats up here for him. I, th I think uh, we, can, we can show you. The th weird thing about baseball is even the best of the best, right, are only productive roughly 30 to 40% of the time. If you are the absolute best at what you do and you get up to bat but you're facing a pitcher that's going to be throwing 98, 100 miles an hour, three out of ten times is, is all you're going to, going to do against a guy like that, and that's if you're the best. And that's if all the situation is right, you're healthy, your diet is good, you're getting enough rest, you're, you know, you've got encouragement, you've got all the, you know, they even have sports psychologists now that make sure your head's in the right place so that you can perform at your best because you're getting paid millions of dollars to play a game. This guy has none of those luxuries. He had to come into a situation where very few people actually wanted him involved. So it's not as if he you know, came onto the field and everyone was cheering for him. It, it was quite the opposite. And he had, to, he had to go out there and he had to do something that very few people could do. But the thing about Branch Rickey that's interesting is he had a lot of people to choose from. But the reason he chose Jackie Robinson is because Jackie believed in Jesus Christ. 
And he sat him down in his office, and he said, look, here's the thing. I need you to be able to draw on your faith to do this. You're not going to be able to be reactionary. You're going to have to hear all kinds of vitriolic abuse and experience all kinds of threats and go through all kinds of difficulty, and you're going to have to keep your cool. You're going to have to do what Jesus said. You're going to have to turn the other cheek. You're going to have to peacefully persevere. Can you do that? Because if you can't, this probably won't work. And we know the rest of the story, right? He did do exactly that. Not only did he do that, but he did it with prodigious success. He played the game not only with class of character, representing Jesus Christ well, but he played the game so well, he won not only the country, but the world over. And he changed the face of sports, if not this country, forever. He, he showed, he embodied patient perseverance. And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see in Genesis chapter 26, verses 12 through 23, patient perseverance in the face of opposition. In fact, the first thing we're going to see in verses 12 through 16 is that godly obedience attracts opposition. And that's the first observation for this morning, is that godly obedience attracts opposition. This is hard to remember. This is hard to remember for me. I get it in my head, and maybe you feel this way at times too. Okay, I'm just trying to do a good thing here. I'm going to do this, this good thing. I know God says in the Scriptures to do this. I'm going to go do it. And then in the midst of doing that, we attract all this opposition. And we're thinking, wait a minute. I'm doing something good here. God, where are you? I'm probably the only one who's ever felt like that, right? Well, we're going to see a guy here in a minute out of, out of the Scriptures that felt exactly the same way. Let me give you a little background context on it before we jump into that. It's, in Genesis chapter 26, we're dealing with a guy named Isaac. He is the promised son of the famed Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith. Of course, we know that Abraham had this son in his old age against logic. God told him he was going to be fertile with his aged wife. His wife was so surprised by that she laughed, so they named him Yitzhak, meaning he laughs. Uh, and she said, I didn't laugh. God said, yeah, you laugh. But you're going to have a son. And then, uh, against all human logic and expectation, she does conceive and have a son. And he grows into a man. He takes on some of the strength and weaknesses of his father, like we all do. And yet he had a connected, uh, connectedness to his father that was very specific. He was the heir that was going to uh, carry on the possession of the land of Canaan. So Israel, basically a country roughly the size of New Jersey that the whole world has been fighting over for forever uh, because the enemy does not want what God promised his people to take place in that, in that area. Of course, it will. We're still waiting for Christ to return and do that ultimately. But look with me at verses 12 through 15 in Genesis 26. It says, When Isaac planted in that land, he reached in the same year, a hundred times what he had sown. Because the Lord blessed him. The man became wealthy. His influence continued to grow until he became very prominent and had so many sheep and cattle and such a great household of servants that the Philistines became jealous of him. So the Philistines took dirt and filled up all the wells that his father's servants had dug back in the days of his father Abraham. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Leave us and go elsewhere, for you have become more, uh, much more powerful then we are. Of course, the Philistines controlled the land at this time. And what, what we're not seeing in this particular text, but in verses 1 and 2, we learn that there's a famine in the land. Okay? This happened a lot in Israel. I've heard you've just gone through Ruth. 
Great little book. There's always a famine in this arid land, and they had to desperately rely on God all the time because there's one major freshwater lake, one major river, which, by the way, was no bigger than the Elkhorn. If you've been there, you've seen it. It's, it, it looks more like a creek than a river. And so if you're going to grow crops in this land, you have to trust God. And so Isaac is thinking, well, I'm going to go down to Egypt. There's a famine in the land. I'm going to go down to Egypt to take care of my family, just trying to be a responsible family man. But God says, Isaac, stop. Don't leave. Don't leave. Stay in the land. I'm going to bless you. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. And see, that's the thing I want to remind us before we go any further, is when God is with you, and when you're responding in obedience to specifically what he said, you don't have to be afraid. We do not have to be afraid in that instance. That's the temptation, but we do not have to do that. Now, you notice uh, in verse uh, 14, the reason the Philistines became jealous of him uh, was because in the midst of the famine, he's getting blessed, and what are they left with? Pittance. Little to nothing. So here he is, just reaping a hundredfold what he's planted in the midst of a drought, and they're thinking, what is going on here? What is this? And so he obeys God, and in the midst of that, God blesses him, but it attracts opposition. They became jealous of what he had, and verse 15, so they took dirt and filled up all the wells of his father's servants had dug. Okay, we can dig wells now. We've got machinery for that. Can you imagine what it took to dig a well like this back then? I mean, who's signing up for that? You're going to, you're going to have a work day here pretty soon. It's a lot of hard work. So can you imagine the kind of fight you're going to have? Any of, any of you here farmers? Related to farmers. Okay. Imagine if they dug a well on your father's property, and then your neighbor was jealous of you, so he came and filled it in. You'd probably have some conversation. Okay? Maybe a lawsuit. Not you, though. You're Christians. You don't do that. Yeah. Uh... They would not have been happy, right? Especially if it's a, it's a drought. This is life and death. This is, you know, in the middle of an arid desert type of country, this is life and death, and yet the wells are filled in. So what does Isaac do? Well, we're going to see in a, in a minute, but he, he's basically in a situation where he knows he's obeyed God. God has blessed him. But now he's in a situation where he's attracting opposition. And let me, just, let me just, again, remind us, that's the first observation. Godly obedience attracts opposition. Okay? We have got to remember this. It's very, very easy. It's very tempting to think if we're doing the right thing, God's just going to make a super easy, smooth, straight path. Well, I'm obeying God. This should just be... Mm. No, because we have an enemy. We have an enemy who has a lot of friends, <laughs> and they're not going to play along with that. And so what we're going to see next is that persevering obedience enjoys God's blessing. Isaac's going to have to choose to continue obeying God even after the opposition comes. So he chooses to persevere. He's going to, persevering obedience enjoys God's blessing. Let's talk about that for just a second before we jump into verse 17. Maybe you're in a situation right now where you know you're doing the right thing. Uh, maybe you're in a marriage where your, your spouse is not a believer. And every day you're trying to point your spouse to Christ, but they'll have none of it. And the temptation is to just shut down and walk away. Uh, the temptation is to uh, feel like this is too hard, right? Or maybe you're in a job situation where in, in your job, 
uh, people know you're a believer, but because of that, they give you a hard time. And you do, you do your work heartily, you do your work well, and because of that, you're getting some rewards because you're very diligent. And other people around you don't want you to succeed, so they're sabotaging your work or they're spreading little white lies against you. You think, what is the point? I'm just, I just, I'm going to quit. That real life situations where when we do what's right, uh, we face opposition, opposition. Look with me at verse 17. So Isaac left there and settled in Gerar, the Gerar Valley. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug back in the days of his father Abraham, for the Philistines had stopped them up after Abraham died. Now Isaac gave these wells the same names his father had given them. And when Isaac's servant dug in the valley and discovered a well with fresh flowing water there, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water belongs to us! And so Isaac named the well Essek because they argued with him about it. And his servants dug another well. These guys, are, these guys are good workers. But they quarreled over it too. So Isaac named it Sitna. And then they moved away from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it. So Isaac named it Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us and, will prosper, and we will prosper in the land. Again, imagine what these guys' days are like. It's not like every time they dig they're finding a well. They're digging and often not finding a well. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, you didn't find one, okay. Uh, but they are finding wells. That's part of the miracle of the provision. And then when they find them, they're getting stolen. I mean, how many people love to have your stuff stolen? You ever had something stolen, something very valuable to you, something you worked hard on or sabotaged, whatever? What's the temptation? Is it just, oh, it's fine, no big deal. I'll dig another one. You think that's what the guys were like? Isaac's men were like, oh, it's fine, Isaac, we'll dig another one. No, that's probably not what they were doing. Uh, they were upset, but Isaac is giving them an example. You notice in verse 17 is, is, is an outflow of what Abimelech had said to him. He says, so Isaac left there. Okay, this is important. Isaac gives a gracious accommodation to Abimelech but he's careful not to disobey the Lord. Because what was the Lord's instruction? Don't leave the land. Don't leave the land. In other words, I know there's a famine. I know humanly, I know logically, there's no reason you should be able to flourish here. That's just the point. I want you to stay right in this spot so that all of this uh, ungodly activity here that can't get anything out of the land, no matter how much they worship their idols, We'll see that that's fruitless, but we'll see that you are prospering in spite of the situation, not because of it. Putting a highlight on who Yahweh God is in ancient Israel. So he does graciously accommodate Abimelech's request. He leaves, but he doesn't leave the land. Okay? He doesn't have an argument. He doesn't sue him. He doesn't try to fight him. He just he moves. He moves. He lets them have his wealth, and he digs some more wells. He just keeps persevering. You notice he gave the wells the same names his father had given them. In other words, he recognized that he was carrying on his father's legacy, who was called by God to dwell in the land, to show that he believed God, in spite of the circumstances, would give him that inheritance. Do you ever feel like someone's filling in your wells? What are you doing right now in your life? What are you praying for? What are you waiting on God about? What are you tempted to, to give up on? 
Or are you tempted to say to God, it's too much, I'm too tired, I got nothing left. They're filling in my wells. I don't know. You and the Lord know. You're praying about something. Everybody's got something. I just want to encourage you in this, from this text. What we see in verses 17 through 22 is that persevering obedience enjoys God's blessing. Are we earning God's blessing? No. But God sees you. God sees you. Keep digging. Keep digging. Dig into obedience. Persevere. Jackie Robinson's standing out on the field. He's sliding into the dirt. He's busting his tail. And he's hearing from the stands screams of anger and screams of hatred, unwarrantedly. And he saw past that. He kept persevering. And God blessed him. Not only with play, but with changing people's minds for the long term. What do you feel like is filling in your wells? What is tempting you? What is tempting you to want to give up? The next thing we're going to see, beginning in verse 23, is that resolved obedience results in peace. Reminds me of the Proverbs says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Might not agree with us, but peace is possible when we rely on God. Look with me at verse 23. From there Isaac went up to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him that night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Then Isaac built an altar there and worshipped the Lord. He pitched his tent there and his servants dug a well. These guys are like a broken record. Now Abimelech had come to him from Gerar along with Ahuza and his friend Phicol and the, the commander of his army. And Isaac asked them, Why have you come to me? You hate me and sent me away from you. <laughs> Isaac doesn't really beat around the bush, does he? They replied, We could plainly see that Yahweh is with you. So we decided there should be a pact between us, between us and you. Allow us to make a treaty with you so that you will not do us any harm, just as we have not harmed you but have always treated you well before sending you away in peace. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. Now you are blessed by the Lord. So Isaac held a feast for them, and they celebrated. Early in the morning, the men made a treaty with each other. Isaac sent them off, and they separated on good terms. That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. Can't stop these guys. We found water, they reported. And so he named it, Shibna. That is the name. The city has been Beersheba to this day, or the Oath of Seven. This seemingly obscure passage from the Bible would be easy to just read over it and go, oh, that's weird, that's nice, God bless them, let's move on. <laughs> and that's the beautiful thing about Scripture, is every single passage was written to interrupt and surprise our obsession with self-reliance. And this is one of them. In a time where most of us can sympathize and identify with why Isaac would have wanted to leave the land in the midst of a famine, God says, hey, this logical, perfectly reasonable thing to do, don't do it. There's a theme going on here. He, he, he talks the same way to Abraham. 
right? And Abraham believed a crazy, impossible thing, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. Not because he was perfect, but because he believed God, right? And Isaac is doing the same thing. He is choosing to obey God in spite of the situation, and he's watching God take all the credit and all the attention. You notice, he says, it was plain to us, we could plainly see that the Lord is with you in verse 28. That's what they're seeing. So what is, what is producing their behavior? The fact that they couldn't explain after time, after time, after time, after time, after time, they could not explain how this guy kept continuing to prosper. You notice he was a man of peace. He didn't fight. He didn't get angry. He didn't try to make his case about why his rights were getting infringed upon. Instead, he turned towards God and kept patiently persevering. And God visits him again. So he visits him at the beginning of the chapter. He visits him again. I just, I just want to encourage you. God is faithful to visit us. Primarily, he's going to do it through the Scripture. Primarily, he's going to speak to us through the Bible, 99.9999% of the time. And that other portion, he, he's going to prompt you by his Holy Spirit. And when those two things line up completely, they're usually not going to be logical or easy. Isaac's command from the Lord wasn't what he wanted to do, wasn't what he felt like doing, and it's definitely not what made sense. Which is why when people tell me, the Lord said to do this, and invariably it happens to do something they already wanted to do, and it's very easy. Forgive me if I'm slightly skeptical. Where does God get the glory in that? See, the reason his enemies could plainly see that Yahweh was with him was because there was a famine. So what difficult situation are you in? That as you continue to persevere, people will recognize you can't do it on your own and God is helping you. See, that's part of the point. That you have access to a living water, as Jesus talked about in John 4, that is springing up from somewhere in the midst of your difficulty because you keep trusting God, not because of, but in spite of your circumstances. And everyone around you, even your enemies, are starting to recognize, wait a minute, they're cheating. Isaac's cheating, but he's not. Actually, he's obeying. What we see here is that resolved obedience results in peace. God is wearing them out. Basically saying, look, this is my guy. And it doesn't matter what you do to him, how many wells you fill in, I'm going to keep blessing him and there's nothing you can do to stop me. God sees you. God sees you. He sees the sweat of your brow as you dig. He sees the unfair moments where people are filling in your wells. And he will visit you. Again, mainly through the scripture, but also through your circumstance. I've seen this in my life time and time again. But I'll admit, there are moments where it just feels like God's not paying attention. Where it feels as if all our labor, all of our sweat, all of our toil is going unnoticed. That the things that happen to us are completely unfair. But what we know from the scripture is that resolved obedience does result in peace 
and the blessing of God. When I was in college, I had to uh, be a part of a, an evangelism class, and so part of it was we were supposed to go out and share our faith. One uh, Friday evening, I'm sitting in the dining hall, and my friend Crystal says, hey, we're going down to the old market in Omaha to, uh, to, to witness, to, to share our faith. And me being the good Christian that I am, I was like, ugh. Why? Because I didn't want anybody to fill in my wells. And dig, you're gonna, I'm going to dig all these wells. Hey, look, water, everyone, living water, look at this. They don't want that. Fill it in. Because most people aren't that interested in Jesus. But I had a friend with me who played guitar, and um, we used to have a music group together, and I thought, well, you know what we could do is we could just, we wrote Christian music, we could go down there and just play some of our songs, and uh, maybe that will spark a conversation. So let's go, whatever. So, you know, my desire for obedience was very high. So we go down there. First 15 minutes, no one notices us. Kind of glad we're blending in. Looking at Crystal thinking, I guess nobody wants to talk. Um, but at the same time, the Holy Spirit's turning to me, saying, knock it off, kid. Dig your well. So we're singing. Eventually we start singing this song, Contagious Faith. And it's all about coming to faith in Jesus. It's all about recognizing who he is and what he's done. He's died on the cross for our sins and he's risen from the dead and he offers eternal life to anyone who comes to him. And this girl was walking by and she stopped. At this point, we've gathered a small crowd. <sighs> Song ends and she comes and she goes, hey, I kind of like your sound, but uh, am I hearing you correctly? You're, you're singing about Jesus or something? And I was like, I looked at Chris and I'm like, here we go. Yeah, singing about Jesus. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. I just, I can't stand that. You people, you come around thinking you can just change people's mind, come down here and, and sing this Jesus music and trying to, what are you trying to do anyway? I was like, well, I don't know. We're trying to talk to people like you, I guess. <laughs> well, you know it's not going to work. People don't just have conversations, hear some music, have conversations and change their mind. I don't believe in God and I'm never going to believe in God. And right at about as this is happening, someone walks up and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? Uh, well, Jesus, actually, uh, but she's kind of telling me nobody wants to hear about that, and, and this couple interrupts me like, well, we want to hear. Tell us about it. And I'm looking at her like... <laughs> like, well, um, what do you know? I'm like, well, kind of grew up in church, don't really go anymore, you're college age. I'm like, well, look, Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He came to earth, he lived a perfect sinless life, and he died for your sin. Have you ever felt like you don't quite measure up to God, but you don't know why, and nothing you can do will make it go away? That's because nothing you can do will make it go away. But Jesus did something to make it go away forever. And if you place your faith in him, you can be forgiven. <laughs> and they said, well, how do we do that? Like, what do you mean, like, Now? Yeah. And so I said, okay, well, and so I started praying with this guy. And his girlfriend looks at Crystal and says, well, what about me? <laughs> Having a Jonah moment here. So they're praying. They're praying to receive Jesus right on the street corner across from the Spaghetti Works. We get done praying with them, and I look up at this girl, and she's like, well, 
That was just, that was a fluke. That was weird. What are these, your friends you haven't planted here to make this kind of seem like whatever? You know, and she's going off on this. And then this other guy walks up and goes, hey, what are you, what are you guys talking about? And I'm like, Jesus? And he's like, oh, I want to hear about Jesus. And I look at this girl like... So I start talking to him. He goes, yeah, when I was a kid, my mom always wanted to go to church, but I kind of lost interest, and you know, her and my dad got divorced, and so I stopped going with her and stuff, but I've always kind of wondered about it, and she's still big into it, but it's just never been my thing. I said, well, do you want to hear more about Jesus right now? He's like, yeah. So I tell him, start telling him about Jesus. And he said, well, it's never really worked for me. And I go, well, Jesus isn't something you can like try out. It's something you either, you either have him because you believe in him or you don't. It's on or off, all or nothing. You're either his or you're not. Do you want to give your life to Christ? He's like, you know what? Yeah, I do. So <laughs> he prayed with him to receive Christ. And now this girl is looking at me like, what is going on? And so we're talking with her a little bit more, and these two other guys walk up and say, hey, what are you guys talking to this girl about? And I go, Jesus? And they go, well, we're, we're Mormons from Salt Lake City, Utah. What do you think about that? <laughs> I'm going, oh, who sent Abimelech? Um, I was like, well, here's what I think about that. Here's what the Mormons believe about Jesus. Here's what you guys believe about Jesus. This is what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that he's not a created being, that he's not Satan's brother. Uh, you're not going to be just like him. He's actually the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He's actually God in the flesh, which is why he could die for your sins, because no mere man could do that and actually pay for your sins. That's why he's God, and that's who we believe in, and that's who we're inviting you to believe in. And I'm just going to pray that God will open your eyes to that, because that is salvation, because Jesus doesn't need your help to save you. You can help Jesus help you, but you can let him help you. You surrender. Look, no condemnation here, but go read the book of John. You'll see what I'm saying is true. And I said, you know what? Yeah, we're going to do that. That gives us something to think about. And I walked away. And I looked at this girl, and the crowd's dissipating about this time. And I go, now what were you saying about nobody changing their mind? And she's like, you know, you really made me think. She's like, look, I didn't make you think. I didn't even want to come down here tonight. But when you show up and you obey, God shows up and it will be okay. You don't have to have the perfect attitude. You don't have to have the perfect strategy. You don't even have to have the perfect words. You don't even have to know how it's going to end. You just show up and dig your well. The water will come. The water will come. I don't know what you're facing in life. What I do know is that no matter what it is, your God is bigger than that. And if the choice is between obeying God and not obeying God, just go obey God. Dig your well. Run the base path. People from the crowd are going to jeer. They're going to mock. They're going to insult. But godly obedience will attract opposition. Sure, it will. You know, I attracted this girl's opposition. I did. We did. But persevering obedience enjoys God's blessing. That's what we saw God show up and do. It wasn't us, it was God. And resolved obedience results in peace. She was antagonistic to begin with, but in the end, she was peaceful. 
because of what she saw God do. Because like Abimelech, she could plainly see the Lord was with her. See, when your situation is always cozy, when your situation is always logically to be explained as to why it worked out, nobody can see your God. But let me just confess. I want the cozy situation. And I gripe and I complain. And I say, Lord, why isn't it like this? And why isn't it like that? And Lord, I'm just trying to obey you. And God's saying, yeah, I know. Just keep digging your well. Because in the end, I will bring glory to myself. See, this story ends with his enemies having a feast with him. God visits him, then his enemies visit him. He cuts, he's reminded of the covenant God gave to his father, and now he cuts a new covenant with his enemies because God is with him. And I just want to invite you today, if you have not yet gone to Christ and asked him to save you, what are you waiting for? He wants to freely give you that water that will spring up into eternal life. He wants to give you that water in the middle of the desert. Jesus has dug the well. <laughs> All you got to do is drink from it. Go to him. He won't turn you away. And if you are a Christian, but you're thinking, how do I keep going to work with these antagonistic people? If you're in school and the other people in your class want to mock you for your faith, they see you praying before you eat lunch or whatever it is, just keep digging your well. God sees you, and he will bless it. He will bless it. So the passage we applied from today's passage is simply this. Resolve to keep obeying God, knowing that over time it will result in peace in God's blessing. In the midst, you'll get dirty and sweaty, and you'll be tempted to wonder, does God see me? He does. Just keep digging your well. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for sending your son. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. Lord Jesus, you obeyed and attracted opposition. Lord Jesus, you persevered and now enjoy God's ultimate blessing. Jesus, you resolved to keep obeying and now we can have peace with God. Lord, I pray for that girl we ran into those years ago that she would come to faith in you. I don't know if she has, but if she has, God, allow her peace with you now to become other people's peace with you. And for each one here who is struggling, God, who feels like their wells are being filled in <laughs> as they try to obey, visit them through your word and through circumstance and encourage them. Help them recognize that you will bless as they continue to obey. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.